This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. There is nothing wrong with your radio. Do not attempt to adjust the frequency. We are controlling transmission. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limit frequency. Good evening, my name is Sam. My name is Ricardo. And this is the Outer Limit Frequency. The sophomore slump, jitters, jinx, or the sophomore curse, whatever you want to call it, refers to an overwhelming uh, coincidence in which an artist fails to live up to the expectations set by the first album. Whether this is failure deemed by the critics, the response from the fans, or a serious lull in the career of the artist, it's all the same, really. However, we aim to prove here that this isn't always the case as we take a look at some of our favourite second albums that broke the curse. And when we decided on the topic for this episode, there was one band and one superior sophomore record that leapt immediately to mind. I'm even willing to go as far as to call Radiohead's 1995 record, The Benz, the blueprint for breaking the sophomore album curse. Start with what brought you to the dance in the first place. In the case of Radiohead, that would be a catchy anti-social anthem. And then spend an entire album exploring the various shades of that concept. And yes, fans of the band will extraneously point out that there would be even greater creative artistic statements in their future. But such arguments tend to ignore how vital that first step away from the debut really was. There wouldn't be a no surprise if there hadn't first been a high and dry. No paranoid android without my iron lung, and no karma police without fake plastic trees. But what the Benz managed to accomplish that later records either would or could not was that perfect balance of indie kid ennui and power pop effrontery that was the album's whopping seventh single, Just. you but not you 
Off the back of that last one when this idea of the episode was floated one of the first bands to come to my mind at least is a pretty obvious pick here being system of a down because quite frankly a lot of people completely ignore their first album and almost solely focus on their follow-up 2001's toxicity it's almost a shame as their debut does deserve a bit more attention than it gets but Toxicity is a beast of an album, so it's at least a little bit totally understandable. Including the now iconic songs Chop Suey, Aerials, and Toxicity, among other more absurd pieces like Bounce. And of course, our next song, the song that likes to remind you to pull a tapeworm out of your ass, this is Needles. Disguise while the stomach pains and the walking of the kings when 
was about 14 and really into Slipknot. The discussion about the greatness of their albums was always between the newly released Volume 3, The Subliminal Verses, and their second album, 2001's Iowa. Well, either of these two, or the guy who wanted to be different, would argue for their demo album, Mate, Feed, Kill, Repeat, but that dude is weird. Ignore him. So, yeah, this was never about their debut. Personally, I do still think Volume 3 is the superior album, but there are many that would argue that Iowa has never been beat. Hell, as I'm talking about this, at least one person comes to mind. Hey, Phil. I do have to admit, though, my plague, everything ends, and left behind are pretty damn great, though.
so often a debut album is a big explosion of ideas from an artist eager to make their first mark on the world. It's not often until later that the abilities of the artist will match up to their ambitions. For all intents and purposes, Pretty Hate Machine, the 1989 debut from Nine Inch Nails, is a good album. Some might even say great. But nobody can deny that the difference from there to 1994's The Downward Spiral is startling. Not only had Reznor's ambition grown in those five years, so did his access to the sorts of technology he would use to render his vision and sound. Harsh, ugly, lonesome sound. And in terms of vicious self-loathing in music form, none do it better than Ruiner.
while i still think 2011's camp the debut album by childish gambino aka donald glover is still better than his second it could certainly be argued that 2013's because the internet is the one that really helped to propel his career forward with songs like 3005 crawl and our next one sweatpants it's easy to see why Plus, with guest appearances by Chance the Rapper and Azalea Banks, it's pretty clear that people would be paying attention now if they weren't already. Really, these are both good albums, though, and this is this sort of thing is mostly a matter of opinion. I reckon he did pretty well for himself, though. Haters wonder why Gambino got the game. Yeah. Half tied thicky, all she wanna do is bang. Yeah. Got her head done, French braids, now she ASAP. Bino so insensitive, she asking why you say that. I'm chillin', yeah. real quick, feelin'. Rich kid ass, paint me as a villain. Still spittin' that cash flow. DJ Khaled, I got penthouse on both coast. PH balance, real I rep those. Why though? Cause I said so. Deep in that Pepto, I got five on it like Ben Folds. I got more tail. In that pet code, you faker than some sweet and low. Yeah, you got some silverware, but really, are you eating no? Are you eating no? Are you eating no? Breakfast, lunch, and dinners for beginners, you ain't eating no. Never catching cases, why they faces look so EMO. Watch a hater hate me, wanna play me like a piano. My architect, no Japanese. Yo, girl, she Japanese. No hands like soccer teams, no boys like soccer teams. You ain't Japanese. You ain't looking like me. Nah, I ain't checking ID. But I found some with no problem. Tell them problem. I'm winning, yeah, yeah, I'm winning. Why? I'm winning, yeah, yeah, I'm winning. Why? I'm winning, yeah, yeah, I'm winning. Why? Rich kid, kid, paint me as a villain. Why? Don't be mad, cause I'm doing me better than you doing you. Don't be mad, cause I'm doing me better than you doing you. Don't be mad, cause I'm doing me better than you doing you. Better than you doing you. Different color my passport, Instagram my stack load, hashtag my day wear, and your girl drank my daycare, and I'm born rich, life ain't fair. Silver spoon, boom, ain't nobody sicker in my Fisker room, oh, ain't nobody. Fiskers don't make noise when they start up, just so you know. Top of the holy totem, rich forever, a million was not the quota, my father owned half the MoMA and did it with no diploma, year off, got no rules, tripping off of them toadstools, more green than my Whole Foods, and I'm too fly, Jeff Goldblum, got a glass house in the Palisades, that AKA, white hood, white hood, okay, 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 you shop at Ikea, so Maserati, you ripping the Kia, spending this money, is longer than near, live like a Copa, love me and Sophia, waking up broke man, wouldn't want to be a friends with a dope man, dope man, bring a girlfriend, man, trouble when I see her, I'm on a pier. Oh, I got my cool on. Tell them, man. I'm winning, so they had to dump the Gatorade. Now I don't give a fuck about my family name. The thing about a first impression is that you generally only get one chance to make it. But every now and then, someone managed to shake the surly bonds of that cliche and gets a do-over. After the Mothers of Invention disbanded for the first time in 1969, Frank Zappa had every intention of carrying on as a solo artist, freed from the democratic shackles of band life. And while the Mothers reformed the very next year, the albums that Zappa released in the meantime helped him to be recognised as a peerless genius in the post-Flower Power era. His solo debut, Lumpy Gravy, was an orchestral album, purposely trying to break away from the mounting expectations being placed upon his shoulders by Capitol Records. It's a technically fascinating album, but it's far from accessible and in many places actually enjoyable. 
This was followed by his second solo album, Hot Rats, which had a massive role in Zappa finally being taken seriously as a musician and composer. Just take the album's opening track and Zappa's signature tune, Peaches and Regalia, as an example of the multifaceted brilliance that is Hot Rats. So when you think Billy Idol, usually the first song to come to mind is White Wedding, which was a part of his debut album. However, almost any other song of his you'd be super familiar with will be on his second album, Rebel Yell from 1983. 
the album's a whole lot raunchier and it contains say the title track but also eyes without a face catch my fall and of course flesh for fantasy if white wedding was the star making song rebel yell was the album to back it up I know popular opinion was that it was all downhill from here, but I'm a bit of a sucker for Mr. Idol, and as far as I'm concerned, his only weak link is his Christmas album. Because Christmas album. Anyway, this is Flesh for Fantasy. You're right. 
For his legendary career as he had, Neil Young's first album wasn't much to write home about. It was an earnest but largely forgettable collection of folk tunes that was soon to be eclipsed in every way by its successor the very next year. The enormous difference between these two closely released albums can absolutely be attributed to a change in personnel. Whereas self-titled featured a cast of session musicians, by the time Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere was released in 1969, Young had joined forces with his legendary backing band Crazy Horse. And the rest was history. And this is Cinnamon Girl. So I know I've spoken about this artist and album before. Hell, even this song. 
But the second album from Poe, 2000's Haunted, is one of the best and most overlooked albums of an entire decade, so it had to be mentioned again. This was a huge departure from her debut and was weirdly received at the time due to the incredibly depressive sound of almost the entire thing. And I suppose in the traditional sense, it is an album that suffered from the sophomore album Curse, as it was the final album by Poe due to issues with the record label following it. So my inclusion here is entirely based on personal opinion. The album is absolutely incredible, as is the artist, and it's just a damn shame that things didn't work out. This is Hey Pretty.
the hard part about discussing a sophomore album curse or lack thereof is that people seldomly agree on which of a pair of records is actually better. I know that many people believe that Porter's Head's Dummy was their best, whereas I'm firmly of the belief that 1996's self-titled record is superior. Everything from the dusty production to the dusty samples to the dusty vocals, the dusty instrumentals and the dusty album cover scream trip-hop to me. Trip-hop and dust. And when I close my eyes to try to picture what Portisic really is, I always arrive at a song like Western Eyes. It might be a 25-year-old hot take, but that's kind of my job around here. This mess we're in 
While many people consider Buddha to be the first album from Blink-182, many people are wrong. It wasn't. It was a demo. Cheshire Cat was their first album. And as such, Dude Ranch was their second. Because that's how numbers work. And well, this was a hell of a second album. Everyone knows, damn it, this was quite possibly the song that made them a big deal. But the entire album is essentially the prototype album for what all other pop and skate punk bands going forward would base their sound off of. It's fun and incredibly immature, which, if we're being honest with ourselves, is what makes it so fun. And was the beginning of a three-album run that got just better and better. It was also the album that started my love of an entire genre, so I've got to give it that. Damn it would be the obvious song to play here, but I've got to go with something a little more weird. The song is Untitled. No, really, that's the name. Untitled. Sometimes a sophomore album will stand above the debut simply by providing a clear vision or intent. Just compare the first two Beastie Boy albums, Licensed to Ill and Paul's Boutique. The first was a messy party record, chock full of personality but a little short on artistic direction. In fact, leading up to the release of Paul's Boutique in 1989, it was anybody's guess who the Beastie Boys were. Were they a ragged hardcore band, scrappy frat rockers or actually a trio of MCs? Nobody was quite certain. 
Luckily, their second album answered those questions and many more, becoming the first ever great Jewish hip-hop record and the blueprint for white rap that has still not been beaten to this day. You can keep your Marshall Mathers LP. I'm chilling at Paul's Boutique. Lahaim. This is looking down the barrel of a gun. Okay, so this next one might be cheating a bit, but hear me out. The Real Thing by Faith No More is their second album, not their third. Kind of. 
yes they did release two before this but the first one we care a lot had an extremely limited run and technically was under a different band name being faith full stop no more so yeah it doesn't count instead introduce yourself was their first true album and it wasn't very good the song we care a lot which appeared on both of these albums was pretty much the only good song however their album the real thing also funnily enough the faith no more debut of a mr mike Patton, their true sophomore album was much better i mean as far as i'm concerned the next three albums were better again but damn this was an improvement with songs like epic from out of nowhere plus two pretty great bonus tracks their cover of war pigs and our final song for the evening edge of the world this album was so much better than the first that it actually had great songs left off of the full release ridiculous
thank you for listening to our look at some of the sophomore albums that broke the so-called sophomore album curse and if you like what you heard jump onto spotify and check out some of our old episodes there's a bunch of them waiting for you hey do you like pink floyd turns out that most of your favorite bands and artists and musicians they like it too so next week we're going to be looking at a very premium selection of pink floyd covers by some of the greats we'll see you then See you later, Phil. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.